Hi, and welcome to the Healthcare Improvement Podcast, brought to you by Healthcare Improvement Scotland, an organisation that enables people to experience the best quality of health and social care. I'm Leona Armstrong. And I'm Kenny Smith. Cosmetic procedures carried out to improve how people look are becoming increasingly popular. Although reliable figures are hard to come by, we only have to look on social media, at TV and magazines, to see that procedures formerly carried out in secret on the rich and famous are now regarded as commonplace for the ordinary person in the street, both young and old. As the number of people opting for lip fillers, Botox injections, chemical peels and nose jobs increase, concerns over safety for those receiving treatments, as well as the qualifications and experience of those giving them, have grown. Our organisation is primarily focused on helping improve health and care delivered by the NHS and other care services. However, we're also the regulator for private healthcare in Scotland, and that includes private hospitals, hospices and clinics. Many of those clinics, all run by healthcare professionals, carry out cosmetic procedures. So in today's episode, we'll be asking, what is the role of regulation? How does it work to keep people safe? And how does it adapt to the growing range of new and unusual treatments coming to the market? To answer these questions, we'll be joined by Kevin Freeman-Ferguson, Head of Service Review at Healthcare Improvement Scotland, and Natalie Graham, a member of our staff who's open about receiving cosmetic procedures and a strong advocate of young people staying safe when it comes to getting cosmetic treatments. We'll also chat with Jackie Partridge and Linda Strachan, both from the British Association of Cosmetic Nurses, who will talk about why it's always best to go to a regulated clinic and their experiences of trying to correct procedures carried out by people currently operating outside of regulation. I'd like to start today's show by welcoming Kevin Freeman-Ferguson, Head of Service Review at Healthcare Improvement Scotland. Kevin, thanks for joining us. And to kick off, can you tell us a bit more about Healthcare Improvement Scotland's role in regulating private healthcare? In the first instance, why is regulation necessary? Hi, Kenny. Thanks for inviting me along. Um, I think it's a very good question. Why, why do we regulate um, independent healthcare services? There are two key reasons from my point of view to why we do this. Um, the first being obviously patient safety. Um, our work ensures that when individuals choose to use an independent healthcare service, it's a safe service and that their welfare will be protected. And the other key important reason is for quality improvement. All of the services that are registered with us are committed to an ongoing improvement process so that every time an individual visits that service, it will be incrementally better. I think one important point to note around this is that the majority of the work that we do in respect of private healthcare is funded by fees that the services themselves pay. Let's delve a bit deeper here. Can you tell me uh, in a bit more detail about who it is that we regulate and how the regulation process works? Yeah, of course. We regulate two types of services, private hospitals and private clinics. Private hospitals, as you might imagine, are big big sites where people can go and choose to have elective surgeries out with the health service. Private clinics are smaller services where individuals can go and choose to use to maybe go and see a private GP or a private dentist. 
and probably most interestingly for folk listening to the podcast today, a range of cosmetic and aesthetic services are offered through private clinics. When folk come to us to be regulated, it's underpinned by four key areas, registration, inspection, being able to complain to us about private services, and then enforcement if, if things go wrong. Probably the two key parts of that that we use on a day-to-day -day basis are registration and inspection. Registration is really important. It's a thorough check of the processes and policies and procedures and arrangements a new service has before they're able to open and trade on, on the market. And that's a really robust process that ensures that as far as we can prior to opening, all the patient safety and quality improvement arrangements are in place. And then on an ongoing basis, we'll inspect services to make sure that those arrangements are working in practice and that everything is going as we expected it to in the registration process. It's what we call a risk-based approach to inspection. So there's no defined time between each inspection. We'll go back to each inspection and varying periods depending on how likely we think something might go wrong or how well that service is being run. We now know who's regulated, but are there people carrying out cosmetic interventions who are not regulated in any way at all? The simple answer to that question is yes. Um, it is possible that there are services out there that are unregulated. The definition of a private clinic that we work to is quite specific. So it's a clinic, so that's a place that people can go to where a doctor or a dentist or a nurse or some other healthcare professionals provide their healthcare services. So that means that maybe where there's a healthcare service that's provided by a healthcare professional that's not within that defined scope, that would be unregulated. Also, again, it's really important to note that um, there's quite a crossover in terms of aesthetic treatments between those that are delivered by healthcare professionals and those that are delivered by beauty therapists. So those treatments that are delivered by beauty therapists wouldn't be regulated by ourselves because we're obviously involved in the regulation of healthcare. It's an important point to note because I think that's an important consideration for people thinking about where they might like to choose to get aesthetic treatments. It is recognised that it's an issue and we're working with Scottish Government um, to try and close some of those gaps in legislation and there's ongoing work um, to, to deal with that and try and get a more level playing field. What risks could someone expose themselves to if they choose to book with someone who isn't actually regulated? So I think that's a really good question. And from our point of view, we would always recommend that if someone's thinking about private healthcare, be it aesthetics or any other healthcare outside of the health service, that they would choose a registered independent healthcare service. I think if you go to aesthetics, then I think the key about choosing a registered independent healthcare service is that that's provided by a trained healthcare professional. And that gives you the best chance of having someone who's skilled and competent to be able to deal with any complications or adverse outcomes if the treatment doesn't quite go according to plan. So I think it's really important that you think about whether that service is registered before you make a choice. In addition, you also get that additional oversight that we provide in respect of the service. So we'll go and make sure that the staff are qualified and competent to do the treatments that they're offering, so that we'll be making sure they've got good healthcare records. So if there are any issues, you can go back and they can be shared with other healthcare practitioners. And most importantly, if you can't resolve any issues with that service yourself, then you can always come to us and make a complaint and we can investigate that for you. And we'll be discussing this issue with another guest later on in this episode. 
We know cosmetic treatments are becoming increasingly popular. What does this mean for regulation? I think the simple answer to that question is that there's more work for us. Inevitably and for sure, the industry is growing and we're seeing more, more and more clinics apply to register with us. We've got in excess of 400 at the moment registered across the country and we've got applications for new services coming in month by month. I think for us, we need to continue to clarify and enhance our guidance. And I think that we need to look at the skills and education of our teams to make sure that we can meet the demand. The other thing I think that we need to think about is that growth is leading to maybe some less experienced practitioners moving into the sector where previously it was individuals who had had a long service and a long career delivering healthcare, moving into aesthetics, whereas now we're seeing some folk move into that sector quite quickly. And it's been important for us recently to revise our guidance around our expectations in respect of the skills and the experience that individuals have when they work in the independent sector. Thanks, Kevin. It's been great to chat and get a clearer understanding of what the regulation means and why it's so important. Listening to Kevin, it might seem surprising to think that people would undergo procedures carried out by anyone other than a trained healthcare professional, but clearly they do. To understand more about why people want cosmetic procedures and why they might go to someone untrained, I'd now like to welcome Natalie Graham, who works for our organisation and has worked with the private healthcare regulation team in the past. Welcome, Natalie. It's great to have you with us. First up, I understand that you feel strongly about making sure that people get their cosmetic treatments from a registered professional. If I can start by asking, have you always gone to a private registered clinic for treatments and not a beautician? Hi, Leona. Thanks for having me. For injectables, I've never went to a beautician, but I did have teeth whitening at a beauty salon a few years ago. But injectable-wise, I've, I've always went to a private clinic that's registered with Healthcare Improvement Scotland. When I got the teeth whitening from a personal experience, I just found the level of patient care was completely different. I felt that staff had multiple patients at the same appointment and I just didn't feel like you were receiving their undivided attention. If you don't mind me asking, which procedures have you had yourself? Yeah, of course. So I've had Botox in my forehead, between my eyebrows and my gummy smile. And I've also had lip fillers. Thanks for sharing that with us, Natalie. When you've decided on having a treatment, how do you choose who you want to carry out the procedure? Yeah, so the, the clinic I chose, I'd done a bit of research um, prior to attending the clinic and I also knew they were registered with Healthcare Improvement Scotland and they offered the treatments that I wanted. So I had that bit of reassurance there. Knowing that they were registered with Healthcare Improvement Scotland was the biggest factor in my decision. Particularly working in the team, I'd known that they'd been through the registration process and I knew that the staff were suitably qualified in PVG check. And I also, I felt safe when I was visiting the clinic for the first time. The staff were friendly, but they informed and assessed my needs and also my decision to have the treatment done. And what was the process like for you? Did it involve things like having a consultation beforehand? And did you feel you were given enough information around what was going to happen and what you could expect the likely outcome to be? Yeah, so I've, I found the process pretty straightforward. I initially contacted the clinic 
via telephone to explain the treatments that I was interested in. They then arranged a consultation appointment, what, which was face-to-face, where we discussed the treatment, what results I was hoping for, and why I felt I needed the treatment. I felt everything was explained fully, including the risks and the aftercare, and kind of everything involved around the treatment that I was looking for. That's good to know. And in your opinion, why do you think people would then turn to untrained and unqualified people when having procedures? I think the key reasons that people may go to an untrained or an unqualified person is the cost and the location. I think it's hard for people to travel, especially with multiple appointments. You require a consultation and then your treatment and then potentially follow-up appointment. And I think the cost as well, if someone feels like they could be saving a significant amount per treatment or the travel cost involved as well, I think that would be a, a huge factor in why they would go to someone untrained and unqualified. I also think the lack of public awareness of the work that the independent healthcare team do may contribute. I think people aren't aware of the lengthy registration process, the significant checks that the clinics have to undertake. I think also knowing that the public have the ability to complain to Healthcare Improvement Scotland and the reassurance that the medical professionals have the training in dealing with emergencies, etc. I think if there was more public awareness about that, then people may be more inclined to go to a registered clinic. Finally, if I could ask you if you had one piece of advice for anyone thinking about getting a cosmetic procedure, what would that be? Do your research. Just research as much as possible before getting any kind of cosmetic procedure. I would encourage the public to look on the Healthcare Improvement Scotland website to see if the clinic that you're maybe thinking about going to has been registered. Read any previous inspection reports if they've had an inspection and just research the treatments that they offer to ensure it's going to meet your expectation and also that you're willing to go through with that and you can afford all the aspects of getting the procedure, which may include travel, etc. as well. That's been really interesting, Natalie. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today and for telling your story and helping ultimately to raise awareness around some of the issues about getting procedures. Thank you so much for having me. Now we've had some insight into why more people are having cosmetic treatments, let's speak to healthcare professionals themselves. I'd like to welcome Jackie Partridge, who owns a cosmetic clinic and was also part of the steering group that helped set up regulation of private clinics in Scotland. So Jackie, can you tell us about the initial hopes for regulation of private clinics and how it's developed over the years from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me today to talk about this, something I'm really passionate about. So I think what um, medical practitioners were hoping for with setting up further regulation was, of course, patient safety. Patient safety is the thing that we're all totally passionate about, and it's what makes us medics in the first place. We care about our patients. We care about safety. And I think we're all very aware that for many years, there has been no regulation whatsoever in this industry. 
And it's something that was very much lacking and something that I was certainly very passionate about having prior to the setup of Healthcare Improvement Scotland and regulation of private clinics. So I think from a starting point, we really were hoping to have a more level playing field where patients were at the centre of everything, and that's what it should be. What makes a good private clinic? And when you're inspected by Healthcare Improvement Scotland, what do we look at and how does that help you to improve? So things that make a good clinic is a clinic that is run by very experienced, medically qualified staff. That has to be the starting point because they understand the medical backgrounds of patients, pharmacology, and you know that, that has to be the starting point of a good clinic. You also want a clinic that is using trusted and regulated supplies and stocks. And that's one of the things that Healthcare Improvement Scotland looks into to make sure that we're using a regulated and approved supply of equipment and devices for patients, which in turn gives us better patient safety. You need to be having a clinic that has staff within it who are obviously trained to the highest standards possible who are going to deliver the best possible patient care. So that's keeping up with changes that might be happening, differences that might be happening with some things that mean, for example, some procedures might be using some stock that is no longer regulated or has fallen foul of CE marks, for example. So these are the sorts of things that Healthcare Improvement Scotland will be looking at to make sure that we're keeping patients as safe as possible. Since you started working alongside us to help us set up regulation, you've been on a kind of journey of improvement. And in a way, we're still in that journey. So how important is improvement to what you do? I think improvement is the absolute pinnacle of of everything that we're looking to achieve for patient safety. Anyone who stops trying to learn, develop and improve really shouldn't be in an industry, especially where patient safety is of absolute paramount importance. I think as medics, we're always looking to learn and develop, and we have to do that as part of our ongoing regulation with our our governing bodies, whether that be the GMC, NMC. You know, we, we have an accountability. We are already regulated professionals. We're used to showing levels of development and learning and best practice. So, yes, I think any clinic or any practitioner who is not open to development and learning really needs to consider what what sort of pathway they, they want to be on. So I think, yeah, it's any development has to be met with a degree of optimism, but we also have to be aware that some of the sort of standards that have been put in place or some of the regulation that we've been required to do has been quite arduous for some clinics because we've had a lot of hurdles we've had to jump through in forms of you know audit trails and and accountability sometimes it's you know computer says yes or you know you have to have the paperwork to to show things and i think that's one of the areas that perhaps practitioners have sort of had to get their heads round is not just doing something right, but evidencing the fact they've done something right through audit trails. And certainly we have more audits than I've had hot dinners recently. And that's certainly been something that I think we've all had to develop with Healthcare Improvement Scotland on this journey. 
if there was one thing that you would like to say to the public who might be considering getting treatments, what would you say to them? Please, please, please do your research. This is not having eyelash extensions. This is not having makeup applied. This is medical and your safety has to be a priority. I would urge any member of the public to please research who is going to be injecting you or performing other medical treatments. Please visit Healthcare Improvement Scotland to find a regulated medical practitioner to look after you and keep yourself safe. At the moment, there are very, very many practitioners, and I use that term very loosely, non-medics with no understanding of facial anatomy, patient safety, pharmacology, prescribing, Please do your research and look for a Healthcare Improvement Scotland regulated clinic. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Jackie. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. So we've heard about how regulation has looked to improve safety and care, but how do individual practitioners improve what they do in order to keep people safe? Leona spoke to Linda Strachan to find out. Welcome, Linda. Linda, we know there are unlicensed people out there. Some of them are beauticians, hairdressers, carrying out cosmetic procedures. Why is it important to be a trained and qualified healthcare professional when it comes to carrying out these treatments and what can go wrong? Morning, Leona. So the underlying principles throughout our four, five and six years of training that it can take for us to become nurses, doctors, dentists, would be the overarching principle to do no harm. We are professionals that are bound by codes of practice and ethics, which would inform any treatment plan for our patients. All of our roles would be committed to lifelong learning. And we learn extensively about the importance of seeing the full person, taking a full medical history, and being certain that any treatment plans that we, we decide on have the patient's best interests at heart. We study anatomy and physiology to ensure that we can be as safe uh, as possible as well as ensuring that we have an understanding of what these medications can, can do. Aesthetic practice may well be concerned with helping our patients feel better about the way they look but the ethics and the appropriateness of a treatment, the safety for that patient would always underpin any treatment plan for a patient. Another thing to note would be if a healthcare professional was to fall short of these principles there are robust reporting structures in place to investigate that individual because as healthcare professionals, we have codes of conduct with standards in place and there would be a pathway for any recourse if things were to go wrong. And we can't say that that's, that's just not the case for lay providers who are operating in um, beauty and hairdressers. Who are you going to report to if you experience something that you're, you're not happy with or if something goes wrong? If you do manage to report to somebody, what's going to happen? Probably not much at all because there's no nobody really taking this on. So when you're choosing a practitioner, surely seeking a, 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 your treatment through a healthcare professional makes sense. We know that our nurses, our doctors, our dentists are professionally bound to codes of practice. We're registered and regulated and I don't know anybody that would argue that doesn't make perfect sense. You mentioned about when things go wrong. How bad can it get and how easy or difficult is it to remedy? 
So there are many treatments that fall under the remit of our independent clinics within aesthetic sector, for example, lasers, injectables, weight loss, body contouring. There's lots of different treatments. So I'm going to kind of answer that question with maybe the most two common procedures in mind, and that would be botulinum toxin injections and dermal fillers, because I think that's what we all think about when we talk about aesthetic practice. Injections have risks. Common injection-related risks would be usually mild and time-limited, so mild discomfort, slight stinging, bruising and swelling. And with botulinum toxin, that would be likely to be a small risk and is usually very minuscule marks that would be left. It would be short term and would remedy within a few days and our patients tell us that usually the outcome of the treatment is favourable and so patients report feeling that it's worth it. Um, With dermal fillers the the risk of bruising and swelling discomfort is greater. There are other risk factors too though such as infection or worse still occluding a vessel and that what that means is that the product, the gel, gets in the vessel of the blood that's flowing to the skin and its job is to deliver oxygen to our tissue. So if that happens, the tissue will will break down and we can have some very nasty necrotic wounds where this tissue dies and even worse still, blindness is a risk and stroke. So these are pretty serious risks, right? (laughs) It makes sense that if you're going to be taking that risk to um, replace volume in your cheeks, for example, or augment your lips, it makes sense that that's going to be done by a healthcare professional. I can't think of anybody who would who would disagree with that. Further to this, though, the practitioner, nurse, a doctor, a dentist, we all have a responsibility to ensure that the products that we use are actually licensed medications or regulated and allowed to be used in the UK sourced responsibly. So thinking again about botulinum toxin, our governing bodies are explicit that within the realms of aesthetic practice, we should have a face-to-face consultation, that there's no remote prescribing allowed. That means no video calls, no phone calls. You have to have met your prescriber so that they can go through all your medical health history and make sure there's no contraindications for you. Um, And we know that that's not happening um, across the board. So we we also have to consider the product itself as medical professionals operating from Healthcare Improvement Scotland clinics. We have to be able to demonstrate the provenance of the products and where we prescribe them from, where we buy them in from, essentially, and that make sure that they are UK pharmacy wholesalers. Everybody is familiar with the fact that we can buy imitation designer label clothing off the internet and sadly there's there's no difference for the aesthetic sector on the internet. Things are offered very cheaply and at very favourable prices but yes it's too good to be true and I understand these products to be grey products which basically means that there's no traceability. We don't know where they've come from, how where they were manufactured and sometimes these things are not even licensed for use in the UK because they don't meet our UK product safety standards. I have seen photo evidence on complication groups where patients have thought they were receiving botulinum toxin injections and their forehead came out in big black sores. There were necrotic wounds because they weren't genuine products. In our Healthcare Improvement Scotland registered clinics, we have to evidence in our medical records so that we can trace back every batch to the manufacturer if needs be. This means that if there was a problem, we can escalate that concern very quickly to the MHRA who investigate any kind of concerns with product safety. 
and our pharmaceutical companies that are the manufacturers and we would get support for the patient who's experiencing the, the side effect or the complication but also the practitioner uh, the nurse the doctor or dentist to help them you know fix the situation thank you linda i've just got one last question for you we know from the growing number of clinics that we regulate that cosmetic procedures are becoming increasingly popular. Is this a fad or do you think the industry and popularity will continue to keep growing? So I definitely think the industry is going to continue to grow. It's expected to grow. I did a little bit of research around this um, myself and I found that it's expected that the industry is going to grow between 8 and 10% in the next few years up until 2028. And I think that there's maybe a few reasons for that. I think that, first of all, there's increase in demand. People are much more aware that of the benefits of aesthetic procedures. We know from our patients' feedback that they seek these procedures to feel better about how they look, to boost their self-esteem. It helps them feel better about themselves. They report that they feel happier in themselves. So that is only going to increase. And even though we are in austere times, it's still continuing to grow. People are placing importance on things of high value that are important to them. And maybe the, there's cutting back on things maybe that um, they can do without, um, for, for whatever reason, people are still continuing to seek these procedures that maybe are expensive, but they feel that benefits them. It's another way of looking at maintenance. People like to go to the gym. People like to look after themselves, healthy eating. This is a, another way of looking after ourselves as we are ageing and having good skin is something that people aspire to have. There's also no holding back in the advancements in technology. Progress has been made so much um, in aesthetic procedures and even making it safer. For example, ultrasound technology. We can see the layers under the skin. We can know the depths of our injections. We can target correctly places where we know we've got volume loss, for example, and we can see quite clearly that this is makes it more effective, less invasive, and patients are now more aware that the, there's a wider range of treatments available that are maybe not all to do with injections. There are machines and technology that can help your skin look firmer, lifted and brighter, all of those promises. And don't forget the fact that we've got an ever-aging population. So as our population is ageing, the demand for aesthetic procedures is likely to increase. And personally, in my clinic, I have a significant number of patients in their 70s and quite a few oxygenarians too, believe it or not. So that's quite refreshing that um, people still feel they have freedom of choice. And lastly, the other reason I feel that the aesthetic uh, procedures is expected to grow is the tidal wave that is social media and the influence that has in our daily lives. We can all relate to how social media plays a significant role in influencing us and promoting aesthetic procedures is no exception. Sadly, that goes for the good and the bad out there though. So I do think the industry will continue to grow. We are familiar with influencers and celebrities sharing their experiences and their results and genuinely people want to experience that for themselves. What I would like to see though would be more of a focus on safe practice and social media campaigns around that where the healthcare and safety is the driver rather than buy one get one free, bring a friend and get half price and flash sale bargains out there. It seems like bargain basement salons or should I say saloons feels like the wild west out there sometimes. Linda Strachan there describing how the future of cosmetic procedures looks from her perspective. But what about the future of regulation? 
We'll let Kevin Freeman Ferguson have the final word on what the future looks like for safety and regulation. Well, as we've already said, the sector is going to grow for sure. We're going to see more new, novel, complex procedures. Uh, and I think that what we'll have to do is add to our guidance. We'll need to develop our skills as the regulator. And most importantly, I think we'll need to make sure that we work with the sector and those that are delivering services and bringing new services to the market to make sure that our work is fit for purpose and continues to keep patients safe. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to this month's episode covering the regulation of private clinics and the growing trend for cosmetic procedures. Join us next month where we'll be looking at another aspect of quality improvement in health and care. If you would like to keep up to date with our work in the meantime or get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. We look forward to welcoming you back in a month's time. Bye.